1: Welcome to the table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Gerald Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendrick Center at Dallas Theological Seminary, and our topic today is one of the sacraments or ordinances. We'll be talking about what that is of the church, namely the Lord's Supper, and uh, certainly it's the one element of the church service that is uh, repeated in our worship, and uh, and so we're going to take a look at the history of it, what it signifies, the discussion – some might say debate (laughs) – that has operated around uh, this material. And uh, I have two consummately qualified uh, people with me to discuss this, Uh, Michael Spiegel and Scott Harrell, both doctors, uh, both teach systematic theology here at the seminary. And so I thank you guys for coming in and being a part of this conversation with us in which we discuss something that, uh, that a lot of people go through but sometimes may not appreciate all the aspects of what goes into it. So, Michael, I'll start with you. First of all, what is what do we call it—a sacrament, an ordinance? What's the deal there? Yeah, that's a great question. It's interesting that the doctrinal
2: statement of our institution, Dallas Seminary, calls it both Mm -hmm. sacrament or ordinance, and then the statement sacrament and ordinance, because really in Protestant circles, uh, the it those terms are sometimes used uh, Mm -hmm. interchangeably, sometimes used with specific emphases. Uh, Ordinance usually emphasizes Uh, that this is something Christ has ordained for the church to do on an ongoing basis, as Mm -hmm. well as baptism. Mm -hmm. Baptism is the one ordinance for conversion, and then the ongoing observance would be the Lord's Supper, and Christ has ordained these things to be marks of the church. Sacrament tends to emphasize um, that this is a sacred rite, that this uh, does something for you spiritually, some special blessing, uh, a means of sanctification, or something like that. uh, In some of the I guess harder sacramental traditions; it's even viewed as a means of saving grace mm-hmm. on your Roman Catholic traditions, for instance. Um,
1: but really, uh, these two sometimes can be used interchangeably. But the, but usually, one would say that a sacrament um, conveys something. Something. Yeah. As so so we're talking about something. You know, one of the views that we're going to be talking about in a minute is the memorial view of the mm-hmm. Lord's Supper, and if you have a memorial view you of the Lord's Supper, tend to call it an ordinance. That's right, yeah. and versus a sacrament, yeah. because of the distinction yeah. that's going on there. Now, Scott, you're, how you, how is that in terms of introducing this in, in the distinction?
3: Did we do okay? Well, I think you did fairly well. <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's interesting that when you see the church pick up with. Baptism, which which parallels the Old Testament circumcision, mm-hmm. as one was brought into the covenantal family, and then, of course, the Sabbath was that ongoing, regular reality of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Lord's Supper. Now you have two new visible signs that mm-hmm. distinguish the church, I would say, from Israel, mm-hmm. but also distinguish the church in the world. These mm-hmm. external realities that. Uh, that identify us as Christ's. There, there's an interesting phrase
1: uh, that comes in First Corinthians when the Lord's uh, supper is being discussed, and, and it ends uh, after he's gone through the elements. It says, "You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes," which means that the the Lord's the Lord's Supper is a statement, it's actually a message, it's a proclamation, Mm -hmm. it's an affirmation if I can say it that Mm -hmm. way and I dare say that many people who think about the Lord's Table probably don't think about the fact that they're making a statement when they engage in the worship of taking the elements. That's right. I I mean, really the Lord's Supper is a tangible
2: edible confession of faith. We are participating in the symbolically the body and blood at least. Everybody thinks it's a symbol. Everybody knows it's a symbol of something. The question is, is it more than just a symbol? Mm-hmm. And so we are confessing several things, the the death of Christ, the real physical body of Christ, the real incarnation. And because we are continuing to participate in this um, prior to the kingdom, we're anticipating the return of Christ. So it's it's really a –
3: very rich image of a lot of things, not just one thing. Yeah, I'd like really to call it the grand central station of Christian faith, Mm -hmm. because you have the Paschal Lamb, of course, the whole Passover motif, and the sacrificial Mm -hmm. realities of the Old Testament. But then, of course, our Savior as the Lamb of God, as Mike was saying, we then we look back and thank in this memorial sacrament our Lord's death on the cross. But in a way, also... As, as I partake of the Lord's Supper, again and again, I think, but as the Lord gave his life for me, so we are part of a body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, the body of Christ relives this life in some ways. There are martyrs in our day that are giving their lives literally for our Lord. Mm-hmm. And as I partake of the Lord's Supper, I should be willing to do that as well. But then it arcs into the future as well, Mm -hmm. as we look at the Lord's return and His physical lordship as He eats and drinks again. Uh, This uh, or that we we waited until that marriage supper of the Lamb with uh, apparently real bread and the real cup. Well, I've
1: heard I've heard the phrase used of this meal, and it's it's a way I kind of do like to think about this uh, as a kind of covenant reaffirmation. Mm -hmm. I'm reaffirming. The relationship that God has given me by His grace and the means by which He provided it. And in that, there's an affirmation, and it's not an individual affirmation; it's a corporate affirmation that we all make together mm-hmm. as we partake together of, of the table. What What do you think of that way of thinking about things?
2: Yeah, I, I use the exact same image that uh, baptism is this this rite of in initiation into the covenant community, where we become one member of this body, uh, where we exercise gifts and mutually encourage and build up one another. And then the Lord's Supper is that covenant renewal, that reconsecration uh, where the, we together as one body are offering ourselves uh, in consecration and really a, a weekly it's a I believe originally it was a weekly reaffirmation of this baptismal pledge mm-hmm. to live this Christian life as a
1: disciple so so we enter into our identification with the death of Christ we reaffirm our Role and participation in the in the covenant. I take it it's the covenant that has, that the death establishes. Uh, so we're thinking the cup of the new covenant. The cup of the new blood, covenant yep. here. So um, uh, we could perhaps go into more detail. We won't. <laughs> not at this That's time. right. But uh, nonetheless, so so Christ's death establishes the hope of the new covenant. Two of which the key provisions are forgiveness of sins on the one hand mm-hmm. and the idea of the law written on the heart or the idea. Of the spirit being sprinkled clean so that the spirit can come in, uh, that kind of picture. So, all that is at work. Now, that's been a simple. That's a relatively simple summary and overview that we just went through to kind of orient people. But actually, it's fairly
2: non-controversial a- up a, to this. Exactly
1: part. right. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to shift gears <laughs> and talk about the history of the way this has been viewed. And I'm going to use phrases like you know, one of the things of theology is is that you need a translator to do theology, right? Because we use all these terms that only theologians use, and sometimes not even in their spare time, and. And then everyone else goes, "What in the world does that stuff mean?" So we've got transubstantiation, consubstantiation. We've got this whole spectrum of things. So let's just start with our terms, and then we'll talk our way through kind of what the conversations have been. Um, so transubstantiation: the position of what segment of uh, church history, and then what's going on with the, with that idea? Scott, I'll let
3: you. Sure transubstantiation is is the official statement of Roman Catholicism and to many in many respects also uh, Eastern Orthodoxy that is that you have you have as you partake of the Lord's Supper, you have the bread, typically unleavened bread, and you have the wine and yet while visibly that is bread and the cup the wine, yet yet that becomes in a miraculous way the actual flesh and blood of our Savior so it is it is transferred into or, or uh, trans what's the word i want to say there help me out yeah. but it's made Ring into it, it's it, it becomes yeah. even as you eat bread and drink wine it becomes the lord's flesh and blood mm-hmm. and there's some strong Scriptures, that would, would point that way. You know, you're thinking about John 6. and John but, 6. You want me to read it right now? Yeah, well, you can, I can. If you want, yes. sure. We're,
1: we're into Scripture reading. That'll yeah, work. As, we'll, as, <laughs> as we'll,
3: This is the famous Net Bible. I'm not sure who wrote it. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, exactly yes. right. Yeah, but it catches everything. Uh, the debate is around uh, the living manna falling from heaven, and Jesus says, "'He is the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh.'" They begin to react very strongly, and Jesus pushes it even further, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. i tell you the solemn truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood resides in me, and I in him. It goes on from there, and of course, at that point, many. Those were verses. Bob, which verses were you reading? From uh, that's John six, <laughs> really starting with verse forty-eight on mm-hmm. down through fifty-three.
1: Yeah, and the interesting thing is, it's actually very graphic imagery that you're dealing with there, because the idea of eating is the word that gets used for mm. how cows chew cut I mean, it's also mm. munching. Is yeah. almost he lost idea. a very lot graphic. of his audience over that? Yeah, one. he sure did. Oh, almost right right at the, in the end. end. Yeah, that's right. Some of the disciples that said mm-hmm. walked away because of because of the the vivid. Of mm-hmm. that imagery. And of course, the discussion that comes about John 6 is whether this is a direct allusion to the to the uh, Lord's table, right. or whether, in fact, this is just a very graphic description of his death and how we mm-hmm. view it. And of course, how you how you think about that obviously impacts then how you view the view the supper. So that's transubstantiation. And that that was, as you said, it's the um, Catholic view of things. Uh, and Um, And the Mass, this is probably worth spending a little time on, you know, um, Hmm, the Mass is observed in the Catholic Church daily. Correct. Uh, And so... Somewhere in the world, uh at any given time, Mm -hmm. Christ's body and blood are being offered. In, yeah, in in the, in, in the church, context yeah. of the Roman Catholic Church, yeah. yeah, and and so you know, some people ask the question, "Why is the Mass so central in Roman Catholic theology?" I think it's a good question to to ask and reflect on, because it is, um, it, the the service in a Catholic church is very much built around the table, correct, mm-hmm. uh, in a way distinct from Protestant services.
3: Well, you're you're both thanking God for the sacrifice in Christ, but also that is a reinstitution. That is a kind of sacrifice, as you say, of our mm-hmm. Lord uh, at every moment, as, as Mike's making clear. Did you want to go back to the other forms of you know, trans- well, 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 But
1: Well, we'll move on in a second. I want okay. to stay here for a second. So so the idea here is that um, you observe the Mass. The, uh, this is a very sacramental, mm-hmm. you go back mm-hmm. to our earlier, like yeah. a very mm-hmm. sacramental view of the Supper, because there actually is grace conferred—saving grace. Yeah. Okay. Not just any grace. grace. It's it's the real thing. Yeah. So
2: you are in 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 by ingesting the the bread and the wine, which has in its invisible, immaterial essence become not just body and blood, but containing the whole of Christ—body, blood, soul, and divinity. Mm -hmm. You are therefore ingesting elements that are life-giving to mm-hmm, your soul mm-hmm. and body. So yes. uh, in, in, in late Middle Ages, throughout the Reformation period, the Roman Catholics were accused, and not without reason, for an idolatry of the Mass because the logic was, if that really is, after the consecration by the priest, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the divine God-man, then should it not be adored with the same kind of worship you would show toward God? And the Protestants responded to what they called the idolatry of the mass because of the logic of the theology where that led them. And it led them to, for all practical purposes, worshiping the bread and the wine. Interesting. Wow.
1: Yeah, now I I think that, like I say, most of this people are almost sure. completely unaware of in yeah. terms of the way... The uh, the service is viewed and the actions that are undertaken. Well, we let's come now to consubstantiation. Um, okay, same set of questions: uh, who does this? Who's associated with this view, and uh, why did it emerge? And now we're probably in a mode where we're not only having to deal with why did it emerge, but what is it reacting to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 again. Scott, I'll let you set the table on this conscientious. I I call this the over, under, around and through view. (laughs) Well, you just said it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Luther, you know, as the reformers broke from the Catholic Church, they they carried much of their studies with them. Mm -hmm. Luther did not want to say this this is actually now the flesh and blood of Christ, that some some actual substantival change. But, But rather, as you say, around and through, you're still eating the the, the bread and drinking the wine, but but there is a kind of hypostatic union uh-huh. of the two. Uh-huh. Uh, that it's kind of like a Velcro attachment uh, to <laughs> the elements
1: bit. or something? Hypostatic <laughs>
3: union is, is what we talk about, the two uh-huh. natures of Christ in one uh-huh. person. Mm-hmm. And so as, as, uh, as in Christ himself, the divine subsumes the human, the two are living together in the one person of our lord jesus so in the bread and the wine there is the presence of the lord that infuses or or, or. Um, encapsulates. How can we put it in <laughs> yeah. and around? As you yeah, say, the actual substance, the substance yes. is, yeah. uh,
1: is with mm-hmm. the elements, as opposed to the elements being Becoming. transformed. Yeah. Yeah, One image okay.
2: that is used is the uh, is an iron in the in the fire, uh-huh. where uh, Luther will say, you know, you put an iron in the fire in the fire, and it starts to glow red. Mm-hmm. Well, the iron hasn't changed its substance, but it has taken on yeah. the character of the fire. Uh-huh. So there's this kind of a which is also an image used for, for the doctrine of Christ and mm-hmm. the deity in humanity. So that ki- same kind of idea.
3: Hmm. S- so infused isn't too strong mm-hmm. of term, and yet uh-huh. they are not confused one with the other. Okay. Now obviously a
1: reaction to some degree of Roman Catholicism without an attempt to completely go Mm -hmm. in a different direction. So what are we sharing and not sharing with Roman Catholic teaching when we go to consubstantiation?
3: Well, you still see a very real presence of our Lord uh, that's not strong enough Mm -hmm. in the elements themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're stepping away from the idolatry as as, – Mike has put it: You're stepping away from this miraculous transformation of these elements into real flesh and blood. That would be the the uh, theme of tra- of transubstantiation. So, con mm. is close. Uh-huh. You're you're stepping away, uh-huh. but you're not stepping away very far. Okay, and so it's is there still a sacramental view of what's taking place? Oh, or of course, something- absolutely. There is the uh, there is the transmission of a. Saving grace, though that by faith within Lutheranism, uh, that is transmitted to the believer mm-hmm. as he partakes of that Lord's Supper. Okay, so the there's Eucharist. something happening
1: at the sure. meal as oh, well. absolutely. Yeah, okay. So um, now I, gu- I guess the next thing to do, and I know that there are more than these, but these are certainly the big three. Um, mm-hmm. We've got um, uh, Z- Zwingli. I'll go ahead and introduce the figure here and, and what is sometimes called the memorial view. I don't know if that's hmm. actually an accurate reflection of, of uh, what he taught. But So let's talk about the – we're dealing with a spectrum here, and I guess as we move down the spectrum, we're becoming uh, less sacramental, if I can say it that way. Um, so Zwingli's view, uh, obviously a, another Protestant view, but certainly different than Luther – uh, what's what, How did Zwingli view the Lord's Supper? And Mike, I think I'll let yeah, you sure. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zwingli was probably
2: reacting even more uh, definitely against a Roman Catholic transubstantiation view. And so he took the bread and the wine as uh, symbols. Uh, they did not uh, contain or become uh, the physical, actual body and blood of Christ. He made a, a, a strong case that that would be a theological problem because it would mean that the physical human nature of Christ had taken on characters of divi- of divinity and could be everywhere present, and he said that would be a problem because Christ is bodily at the right hand of the Father. And so he said it's, uh, it, it is a uh, consecrated symbol. It becomes a holy thing for the purposes of our, our participation of the meal. And with that came this idea that it isn't doing anything in any automatic sense. You're not partaking of anything that is giving you blessing automatically. It is really a a sermon without words, Mm -hmm. in a sense. It is communicating something in a memorial or a uh, um, reverential kind of sense. So it's much more of something going on in your mind
1: and your heart than what's going on on the actual table. Yeah, it does strike me that this is a very um – almost personalized mm-hmm. look at the table and and we lose or we risk losing a little bit of the corporate feel of the event in, in thinking about it now, i mean when i hear the word memorial and maybe this is this is reacting more to the english word i'm thinking about this being primarily a reflective exercise sure. of one kind it's or a, another it's meditative it's
2: reflective
1: it's devotional
2: although he doesn't go really far he doesn't take it out of the context of the community right but it really depends on the individual's reflection and faith in response to
1: that yeah and so you not only do you lose the sacramental dimensions that the other views have that, that are not so much a part of this but also there is I, I almost think the the proclamation side of it gets underemphasized if I can say it that way because it becomes this this more privatized experience almost yeah. is that is that is that fair? Yeah.
2: I, when you read Swingley himself, he he goes out of his way to show that he's not dismissing the significance of the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. you know, 10 things that this still is doing, you know? Yeah. I think in what becomes the tradition of the memorial view, that's where you go. Mm-hmm. It sets you off. You know, the boat starts to drift mm-hmm. pretty soon. Uh, you know, in my tradition, I'm in, in a free church tradition, mm-hmm. I've heard more uh, setups. ups Explaining what the everything that the Lord's Supper doesn't do, uh-huh.
1: and by the time you get mm. to the end of that, you're wondering why you're even doing it. It's kind of like those commercials for drugs that say, "Take this yeah, drug," exactly. and then there's 45 <laughs> seconds of, "This may kill you." By the time it's all done, so you're more than welcome to have it. You yeah, know? exactly. So. <laughs> and so,
0: this episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith.
1: Yeah, it's it, it it's it, it, it's always. I mean, I grew up in a tradition in which this was the dominant view, mm-hmm. and um and it was my kind of my initial take on the supper, and and in in all honesty, it struck me as time has gone on and as I've read the scripture and reflected on it that it doesn't. I have a feeling it doesn't quite say enough. Mm-hmm. It tells us what it doesn't do, but it doesn't really start asking
2: constructively what it why are we doing this? What does it do? How are we supposed to do it? What benefit do we get
1: from this? And, yeah. and what are we saying with it? And of course, sometimes in some services, it ends up – the Lord's Supper ends up being like a tag-on to the main service, and so you feel like, well, yeah. this is the appendix. Yeah. And so we've so, gone from a very removable, different place yeah. versus yeah. the Roman Catholic Mass, yeah. where it's central, and we've come to this odd place where we're kind of in the um, – well, it's a nice thing to do, and we were asked to do it, but don't ask too it, much and historically, more. it it feels like a pendulum swing, mm-hmm. right? The Roman Catholics were taking it
2: mm-hmm. too far in this
1: direction, right. and yeah. we swing a little bit too far. Yeah, and and this was this was a big deal in the, in the history of the church. It was. It split Martin Luther and Zwingli from having a unified Reformation. Yeah. Now, there's a very famous incident that took place in the uh, in the history of the Reformation, known as the Marburg Colloquy. Um, and I'll, I'll try and set this up, but I'm setting this up as a non-church historian, so if I botch it, just let, let, let me know. Um, but my understanding is that the colloquy was a meeting of Lutherans, and Zwingli. Uh, there was a list of 15 issues that they were supposed to discuss. I, don't ask me to name what the 15 are. And, um, and they pretty much negotiated their ways pretty successfully through most, most of the them. list. And then they came... The Lord's Supper. Now, the tradition is about this. In fact, I've seen a painting in there's a very mm-hmm. famous painting in in Germany that you when you visit one of the sites at and it may even, I don't sure if it's Marburg or castle. somewhere else. Maybe, where is it? Maybe at the castle. I
2: can't remember. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember, remember
1: where it is either, no. but it's it is the famous incident of Luther taking his knife and carving into the wood. Um, I don't remember if this is in Greek or in German. Uh, I think it was in Greek. Um, We'll keep it that way. New Testament people will like that person. Or Latin, something. Latin, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. The the words, uh, this is my body, body. and Mm -hmm. saying, until you can tell me this doesn't mean what it says, um, we can't agree. So obviously there's something behind all that. Mm -hmm. Um, What's going on? Yeah. Like we said earlier, uh, Martin Luther
2: held that when Jesus said, this is my body, uh, that bread and wine really did contain the body and mm-hmm. blood of Christ. And so you were um, literally ingesting uh, Christ's Christ's body and blood. So he he shared that view with the Roman Catholic uh, position um, with some, some differences that we mentioned before. Whereas the other Member at the table was Zwingli, who we saw was a total opposite. This is Christ's body and blood are not actually present; it is a figure of his body and blood, and so they could not see eye to eye on that. They both accused each other of uh, heresies regarding Christ. You know, one uh, Zwingli was accused of of separating the theotine humanity of Christ and being a an Nestorian, and and Luther was accused of being a, a mixing up the deity and humanity and saying the, the human nature and the bodily form could be everywhere present, and um, they left an absolute uh,
1: disagreement and disunity. And so, so we weren't able to see a uniting of the Protestant Correct. Reformation as a result. So the ramifications of that obviously were very, very significant for mm-hmm. the Reformation movement, which was already a minority movement, and now They needed split. to be together at the time. Yeah, yeah, and they were split as a result. So... Um, uh, very, very uh, famous event, and, and like I said, it, it's marked itself uh, not just in church history, but really in, uh, in European culture to a certain degree, mm-hmm. because um, you talk to Europeans who know a little bit about their history, and um, they're quite aware of, the, of that event. The Swiss Reformation and mm-hmm. the German Reformation never came together uh, because of that. Now, now, we've mentioned three views. Now, that is, that is, those aren't the only views. There's one view that we haven't put out on the table yet, and that is the Reformed view of uh, of the Last Supper. So, you know, how did Calvin walk into this conversation?
2: Yeah, now Calvin is coming about a half a generation. He wasn't one of the original uh-huh. Reformers, so he already mm-hmm. had the debate. In the background. And, right. And in many ways, his position became a mediating position between Luther and Zwingli. And so Calvin agreed with Zwingli that this was not physically present in the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ. He saw that it would be a Christological problem. Uh, but he also said this isn't a mere empty symbol. Mm-hmm. This isn't doing nothing. This isn't just a memorial. This isn't just dependent on what we think of it. Uh, Christ is he would say, present at the observance of the Supper in a unique and life-giving way and in a way that brings blessing. But I like to think of it more in terms of Christ is present in the same way he was present at the Last Supper, Mm -hmm. as the host of the Supper. Mm -hmm. And by dining with Christ, you are participating in the blessing and partaking of him and communing with him. And he says – he has this interesting line in his Institutes, Book 4, where he says – uh, we are, in a, in a sense, ushered into the presence of Christ by the means of the Spirit who can transcend space. Mm-hmm. And so it's sometimes called the real spiritual presence, mm-hmm. but that's a little bit of a misleading. It's really the real presence of Christ at the table with us by means of the Spirit. And so he is the host of the meal, and we are communing with him. So would a the... description of this as a mystical meal be In, a, in a sense, yeah. yeah. He, he, <clears throat> he is saying we are mystically but truly fellowshipping with Christ. And in that sense, the the bread and wine become symbolically sacramentally or consecratedly, just as a, a man and woman are pronounced husband and wife and really become husband and wife, though nothing has really changed with them, they've been consecrated as such the bread and wine which is common becomes sacramentally body and blood of christ in a in an official sense and it's functioning then as part and, of the and one of meal. the indications yeah. that
1: something like this is going on is that i take it the the warning that comes with sure. the meal that says um, you know that a person should really reflect on 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 the spiritual state that they're in as they partake of the elements exactly yeah yeah and you know in in my uh
2: tradition that had a pretty I would say, low, a very memorial view of the Lord's Supper. They would tell us what it doesn't do, but then they would warn us, and they would say, but make sure you don't eat of this unworthily because, you know, you could get sick and die. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. If you do it mm-hmm. wrong, mm-hmm. you die. Mm-hmm. If you do it right, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't quite make sense, especially when you see First Corinthians 10 talking yeah. about the cup of blessing that right. we bless. Mm-hmm. The cup of – you know, the New Testament has –
1: a bit richer uh, understanding of the lord 's Supper you've just reminded me of a question i didn 't ask at the beginning that I probably should have, but sometimes we call this the Eucharist mm. so um, so what 's going on with that language yeah it 's hard to find the term
2: Eucharist it means thanksgiving mm-hmm. it's hard to find that language specifically referring to the lord 's Supper clearly anyway, in the New Testament mm-hmm. there are a couple passages possibly um, you do see it very, very early in church history, though. Already with uh, a document called mm-hmm. the Didache in the first century, yeah, very early. refers to. But sometimes Eucharist is referring to the elements, but but other times it's referring to the observance itself, which
1: is bigger than just the ingestion of the. Uh, and the, the idea elements. here is almost that the meal is supposed to be some kind of a celebration yeah, or some type of thanksgiving. thanksgiving, so that there's a. There's an attitude that comes with this that's more than reflection. There's mm-hmm. a, there's an mm-hmm. there's an engagement there's in that fellowship idea, and there's that, yeah. that you don't see when you just think of the memorial idea. Mm-hmm. And so, it's an interesting it's an interesting phrase by which to describe the meal. And as you said, it comes in very very early in terms of the way yeah. it's characterized because the meal is a part of the worship mm-hmm. that you participate mm-hmm. in. So let's let's turn our attention here to some practical questions, and that is, um, I'll I'll ask a simple question. Uh, obviously, the Roman Catholics observe this daily. Um, Protestants observe this. It depends uh. on who you are, where you are, and when. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, yeah. at the church that I'm in. Uh, uh, it has brethren roots, so it's weekly for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know churches that do it quarterly, mm-hmm. churches that do it whenever, <laughs> and cell groups, and not as a church <laughs> exactly another. right annually. Yeah. I've seen that's yeah. right. I mean, mm-hmm. lots of mm-hmm. so monthly is pretty common. What in the world is going on with
3: that? I mean, how, how, yeah. where,
1: where,
3: where's where's that coming from? Well, our Lord does invite us to do this regularly mm-hmm. when we come together I mean mm-hmm. that's that's pretty clear as often as you eat that's and right. drink it which is not very specific I yeah. might say and I think the concern was that it might be done unworthily too often and mm-hmm. therefore to yeah. to restrict it to certain times but but that that uh, participation weekly I'm in a church that does that mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. it is one of the reasons I go to church I love that time. Together, that is uh, that is again the holy of holies. That is the the, the absolute center, along with the fellowship and the, the other forms of worship and so forth. Opening up of the word of, of, of my of my walk with God. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure there's any. Strict uh, w- way the New Testament puts it forward to be done uh, in a in a in a prescribed way, and yet it is described as usually. I would think that the the Lord's Day mm-hmm. Sundays, when the offering is taken, when they come together, that would have been normative in the New Testament church.
1: Yeah, I, well, I'm also at a church that has really builds. The, the way they build the service is to actually point towards the table that comes at the end, yes. not mm-hmm. as an appendage, but very much as the high, high max, point of yeah. the service. Mm-hmm. And so um, – and it's built up that way, the way in which the elements are presented to the body uh, make that point on a regular basis. And so that's how we observe it. And I find it the same thing, that it's a, it's a nice, reflective um, – um, Aff- affirming time we usually tie it to a creedal uh, affirmation as well uh, that it becomes a key part of the service for us yeah and you know the the imagery and we we already mentioned some of the imagery and the meaning and the
2: significance of the lord's supper with old testament imagery new testament meaning this idea of reconsecration and reaffirming your your baptismal pledge and all of these things the The observance is rich enough that it doesn't need to get stale mm-hmm. and uh you don't have to change your messages to to point to the lord's supper it's it's there, and you can always uh um uh, make it work it's it's a it's a very rich image. I attend a church that uh, I'm a member of a church that does it monthly mm-hmm. uh although i and uh you know even the pastor both hold that historically. Uh, It's pretty easy to demonstrate it. This was a weekly observance as as an essential part of worship.
1: Hmm. So, so it's you know I've always found that variation interesting, and uh, uh, you know along with the logistics of of the meal, let let me talk about one particular logistical detail that everyone probably doesn't think a lot about, but it probably does cross their mind: the whole idea of the common cup, okay, Um, which. Strikes terror in anyone who's interested with in things like like <laughs> germs and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, uh, again, another different custom is that in some traditions you get a common cup; everyone's drinking the wine, in particular, from the same cup. Um, and, whereas in other traditions, these are separated. Uh, is there any history to that other than hygiene, or, or what's going on? Yeah, I mean, common cup seems to be pretty common.
2: I mean, early on, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I've participated in a common cup observance once when I was in Germany on sabbatical, and we attended a, a small group service in the evenings. And it was interesting, as that thing was being passed around, there were a few that were doing intinction, which was dipping the, the element, the bread, into the wine and then parta- partaking. By the time it got to us... <laughs> Uh, my wife and I—we just sipped from the cup and prayed to God that everything was going to be okay. Uh-huh. But it was real wine, so uh-huh. that does change things a little bit. Uh-huh.
1: So, yeah, yeah but is there any? Can be awkward. Yeah, it, it isn't. I mean, I'm, I've I have relatives who are in uh, an Episcopal church, mm-hmm. and and if mm-hmm. you go to service with them, that's a that's a common cup. Everyone comes forward, and they do the little. Wiping of yeah, the edge what? before yeah, everyone partakes. That's, right. that's exactly what that is, <laughs> and so, um, uh, but there, but there actually is an, an important symbol yeah. that's wrapped Think up. Think of the idea of the fellowship. Then, yeah. yeah, it 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 is it is the recognition. It's kind of the opposite of the the risk on the memorial side that that this is something we share. Mm-hmm. Uh and communion yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah don't take that too literally uh, I mean, yeah. communion right <laughs> yeah so we all participate in it together um, Scott any observations on how we observe the table I and think
3: there's such variation there there's certain freedoms that we have in the scriptures aren't there for <laughs> yeah. cultures and and across time. Uh, you know, as a missionary, we, we struggled sometimes in church planting. Well, okay, are we going to use the one cup or the many? Mm-hmm. You know, get people with venereal disease right, and all right, the rest right. that are there. And yet, we tended toward the one cup. Uh, I began to move toward real wine uh-huh. for a lot of reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the fermented life of the grape uh, has has uh, has symbolism, even as the unleavened bread, uh-huh. ironically, uh-huh. Uh, of ex- uh, getting rid of the evil uh, uh-huh. as well and that, that – purity of the bread. I think those have realities. But sometimes it was hard to know, what do you do, for example, after the Lord's Supper? Uh, You know, in a new church plant in a foreign country, sometimes kids would start running up and grabbing the bread and eating it as a snack after church, the bread that we had just celebrated as the the symbol of our, our Lord's death. And or not drinking necessar- the juice as grape juice, and not
1: necessarily know? doing so because they're being um, how can I say? Oh no, not sacri- Because no. you're they're- dealing with very poor people, I would take it for whom
3: a meal well, just would be important. Maybe undisciplined kids <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> but uh, um, there is a question: What do you do? You know, yeah. for many traditions, they, they put the wine back into the bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a few cases, they sit behind the pulpit and drink it. <laughs> uh, there, there, and the bread as well. I I would, as a church planner, say, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's too much to eat sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we've mentioned before, it's nice to have a full church so that right, doesn't right. happen. But do you just throw it in the garbage? Of course not. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yet it's just a symbol, you, you know, it, but yet it is in some sense now sacred. That's set do you apart give it away to the poor? Now. Do you... Do you mm-hmm you know do you burn it what do you do with that so i i struggled with those things and i i found with more time i wanted to in some way you know, i'm certainly not a consubstantiationist or, mm-hmm. or something like that but i wanted to treat that consecrated bread and cup in a in a reverent way mm-hmm. whatever else might be involved mm-hmm. and i might add that, that just to throw something in here when mm-hmm. when we you know, we're talking about First Corinthians 11 and how partaking unworthily, which I would think if it's just a memorial and I'm not thinking much about it, so I take it and it's not a big deal because it all depends on my faith, then why are some sick and even dead mm-hmm. amongst you? So, there's more going on than, than merely a, a symbol entirely dependent on my faith and my perception There seems to be a stronger element going on there as well.
1: Yeah, there's a sense in which it's in the worship service for a reason, and there's something Mm -hmm. sacred and set apart about what's going on. Figuring out where that is on the spectrum and how that exactly works is obviously something the church has been talking about for a long time, and to some degree, in certain circumstances, debating. But there still is this sense that this rite and and again remind people this is this is the one rite of the church that an individual member goes through repeatedly mm-hmm. um, uh, mm-hmm. the opening of the word obviously is is something that we mm-hmm. do repeatedly we sing hymns repeatedly but this is the one commanded thing that Christ tells us to do to remind us i think yes. how central um, Christ's sacrifice mm-hmm. is um, to point us to the grace of God that we're at the table, not because of anything that we have done, mm-hmm. but because of what He has done. Um, those kinds of ideas, and and I, I think it's in also a part to. And this is another element of the application to get us to remind us that we are not entitled to the blessings that we receive from mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. That God <laughs> purchased. Mm-hmm. Uh, those privileges for us at great cost and sacrifice. And sometimes I think we, in the West in particular, tend to think about our entitlements, and that actually gets in the way of our spirituality. And the, and the, the meal is a wonderful reminder of the fact that it's His shed blood mm-hmm. that brings us into fellowship with God. And it's something
2: you receive. Mm-hmm. As well, you're you are receiving it from those who have prayed over it and have passed it around. You're receiving it together. Um, it's also the one thing we do in church that involves simultaneously all of the senses. Mm-hmm. You know, you're tasting, you're touching, you're smelling, you're mm-hmm. hearing, mm-hmm. you're um, whatever you're doing, smelling. I don't know, <laughs> but but all of these things are you're involved fully in in this observance, and uh, you are again, consecrating. You're supposed to be consecrating yourself. You're supposed to be reconciling with one another.
1: Okay, now, um, consecrating yourself is another one of these phrases that we sure. might throw in, but what exactly does that mean? Yeah, you know, many
2: of the early – in the early church uh, associated the the coming to the table with Romans 12 and offering your bodies as living sacrifices. That, that yes. the, um, Augustine said that, you know, the, the body of Christ that we offer at the altar is – we as the body offering ourselves in consecration weekly to uh, reaffirm, going back to this idea of reaffirming our, our commitment to discipleship and to the Christian life and to one another. And so it's, uh, it, in that sense, it is actually accomplishing something, reconciliation mm-hmm. within the body as well as a continued re-consecrating or rededicating our lives to him. So in a sense, there's a, in the mm-hmm. early church, there was an altar call every week at the end of the service. It was a table call to Yeah, but it uh, was an altar call yeah. not yeah. to yeah.
1: come to faith, but an altar call to, to reaffirm and reflect your faith. Exactly. Yeah.
3: yeah. You yeah. know, I think in all this, too, complementing that, uh, as we look at the soteriology of heaven, there we see the lamb, the lamb, the lamb over and over again. So the, the marriage supper Uh, Of the Lamb, of course, speaks to that in Revelation 19. What Jesus anticipated in offering this, but I, I, you know, you look at Revelation chapter 5, and to the Lamb, you're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, because you were killed, and at the cost of your own blood, you've purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Uh, the Lord's Supper certainly arcs into the future, doesn't it? It's our Mm -hmm. hope. And so as we consecrate now, Mm -hmm. this is the Lamb, what, 27, 28 times in the book of Revelation. Jesus is the Lamb. That becomes his title. That tells us what he did on the cross before, what we will worship him forever and ever Mm -hmm. for, Mm -hmm. having done for us. Yeah, so it's
2: anticipation of this kingdom. One of my colleagues, Glenn Kreider, says that, you know, each time you take the Lord's Supper, you're hoping it's your last, mm-hmm. you know, until the kingdom. That's that not having, nice. and and I like to say, you know, it's mm-hmm. just enough to make you hungry for more, mm-hmm. and you're longing for that
1: that marriage supper of the Lamb. And of course, the reminder the is, you know, who is worthy? I'm back to the entitlement theme again. Mm-hmm. You know, who's yeah. worthy to. To, uh, to receive this and to have done this for us. And, of course, it's only the Lamb who is worthy, mm-hmm. and it's not something that, again, we bring anything or contribute anything to. I, your picture of it's something we receive. It's, mm-hmm. it's the gift that we, uh, that we experience It's very, very important in thinking through this. Okay. any We're almost out of time here. Any last thoughts about uh, things that we haven't said about the Supper that perhaps should be said uh, uh, in terms of observing it or, or practical things that we think about as we do it? I mean, obviously, it's more than just sitting there and going, yeah, back there somewhere in the dusty past. Yeah.
3: You know, Christ died for me. It's yeah. much more than that. I guess one thing that I'm still thinking theologically rather than practically at this point, but in, in heaven, as we look at that throne of God and the Lamb over and over again and the myriads and myriads and myriads worshiping the Lamb for what he has accomplished forever, it just dwarfs all of our efforts, all of our supposed worthiness or lack of worthiness, mm-hmm. because we're purchased by God. It speaks of the grace of God that overarchs everything else. Our simple faith in trusting the Lord, symbolized in that taking of the Lord's, Lord's table, uh, has, has eternal effect. It's just overwhelming to me sometimes.
1: Yeah. And that's why I like the word Eucharist, because mm-hmm. it is the mm-hmm. sense thanksgiving. of Thanksgiving. It, it does engender in the reminder, in the reflection, in the participation, in the covenant affirmation, uh, a gratitude that we're supposed to have that a great debt has been paid on our behalf, something we could not have paid for and taken care of on our own. Michael, any final thoughts? Yeah,
2: I would say even though I hold that the bread and wine are symbols Mm -hmm. of Christ's body and blood, that they aren't empty symbols they're mm-hmm. accomplishing something they have rich meaning that we really need
1: to retrieve in our in our worship services well i, we, I want to thank you for coming in and talking about the lord's table with us this is a rite that people regularly go through in the service that uh, they think somewhat about, but perhaps not enough, and to have a sense of the history and what's gone into it is an important thing, and to, and to be moved to reflect on the goodness, grace, and kindness of God is something that's worth the time. Amen. So we thank you for being a part of The Table, and uh, we look forward to having you back with us again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by just these guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys, you know?